I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... Most of these books are sort of like a step-by-step process. It's very structured. And uh, my book isn't a step-by-step instruction on how to become a leader. It's really a series of stories and anecdotes and essays. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. Our guest today is Jeff Page. Jeff wrote a book called Becoming a Student of Leadership, Making Leadership a Practice. And what does that mean? Well, guess what? You can never really become a leader. You're always a student and learning how to become one. And there's some features of that that we talk about. Curiosity, vulnerability, communication skills, and radical candor. Two words that together may be a little scary to you, but Jeff and I walk through what that can mean in your day-to-day. He worked at the Library of Congress. We talked about what it was like there and leadership there. But remember, leadership is a process, and Jeff and I describe what that process is and how you can learn from it. Here's our conversation. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. So, Jeff, the obvious first question for you and anybody who writes a book is, what made you, what aha moment made you say, I'm going to write a book, and how did it get started? Uh, The way that it got started is uh, I was working as the CFO at the Library of Congress. Wow. And I felt that I wanted um, the team in the office of the chief financial officer to have a sense of their role as leaders because we're all leaders in some form or another. And so I uh, had a a grassroots leadership training where I closed down the whole office of 60 people and uh, did a two-day training to uh, talk about what that means um, to be to be a leader. And one of the things that I said at the beginning of the, the uh, training is don't, don't go into this thinking that you're going to have a life-transforming experience. Come out of it with a nugget. Um, and if you have a nugget, do something to nurture it. So after the training was over, I said to myself, oh, how do I practice what I preach and communicate the nugget that I got and what I'm going to do with it? So I sent a message out to the team on the following Monday saying, this was my nugget, this is what I'm going to do with it. And that became a, a, a weekly message that I sent. After a, a while, it just became a routine. Every Monday I sent out a, what I called Jeff's Weekly Reminders. And at one point, someone called from a different part of the library and said, I really like that last message you sent. And I said, who is this and where are you calling from? And he said, oh, well, your staff, they're sending these messages out. Went viral, as they say. It it went viral. Fast forward nine years after writing these messages and transforming it into a blog, several people who had been following my messages uh, suggested that I compile it in a book. And so I worked on that for a couple of years, and I have that brick. Well, first, I noticed you you dedicated to your lovely bride, Lisa, uh, and and, uh, I think that probably got you a lot of cred uh, around the household, so congratulations on that. But, you know, there's the old, does the world need another leadership book? What what got you over the hump of, I am adding something new and a perspective that is fresh and different than all the other leadership books that are on that shelf? Right. That's a question that I asked myself when when people were recommending that I write a book on leadership, I went out on uh, Amazon and, and looked at all the hundreds of books written <laughs> right. on leadership. And what I found was 
that uh, most of these books are sort of like a step-by-step process. It's very structured. And uh, my book isn't a a step-by-step instruction on how to become a leader. It's really uh, a series of stories and anecdotes and essays, um, often about my own um, struggles with trying to become an effective leader and foibles. And then I, I sort of use those stories as learning moments and so it's it's more um, a, an image or a, a metaphor of you know what an effective leader should be doing is reflecting on how how they are doing um, when they make mistakes how they should respond to those mistakes and um, what we can all learn from being more curious uh, as as leaders. So I'm sure we'll get into some of the things that you're seeing that typically characterize effective leaders. But let me ask you, do you? Do you see people, either you know them personally or in your uh, in your corporate environment that you go in or you're watching television and seeing this a CEO or a coach or somebody, do you say that person has some of the things that I've been talking about? Can you sort of judge somebody from afar as to whether you think they have some of the features that matter in, in your book and your, your experience? Absolutely. And and the the few people that I've had the um, good fortune of working with, I, I've had a couple of people that have been real mentors to me. And they're, they have this, this sense of sort of being a student of leadership, being curious and, and being reflective and being vulnerable. Um, I think that the people that I unfortunately too often see and encounter and have worked with people that aren't very effective leaders, and I often find that they've been thrust into leadership positions and they're not prepared to, right. to operate effectively in that, in that kind of role. Those of us that went and got an MBA uh, often look back on our time at school mm-hmm. and say, did we get some of the, I won't say softer skills, but some of the skills that are not in a textbook, not in a spreadsheet, um, that end up being, at least in my experience, as important or maybe more important for developing effective organizations. Uh, have you seen any higher educational platform do a good job at some of the features that your book focuses on? You know, I don't really know what uh, higher educational institutions are doing this, but I can tell you that it, it's they're not doing it enough. I would I would right. argue that um, the softer skills are the ones that are really going to help our leaders be more effective. It's uh, obviously you need a technical you need to have the the um, credibility with your team. You can't walk in to uh, a accounting shop and know nothing about accounting but obvious, but if you don't have those soft skills I don't I I would argue that you can't be an effective leader if you and, and in fact that is part of the problem we have people who go on and on in their career gaining more and more technical skills and then they're just transitioned flipped over uh, into being a leader of people in that domain and they, and they often fail because they've learned how to be a technician but not a leader. We're talking with Jeff Page. He is the author of Becoming a Student of Leadership, Making Leadership a Practice, a fascinating book about what it takes to become – no, I shouldn't say that – what it takes to be a student of leadership as opposed to becoming a leader, which is part of your – so your, your description of people getting sort of thrown into the leadership role, often without some of the, I guess, training or certainly the experiences to make it – What's that? Is it Peter Principle where people get promoted to their the level yes. of incompetence? You see that in leadership as well, I'm sure. Absolutely. I think it's actually the the ultimate example of that Peter Principle because in a technical area, there are people who advance further and further in their technical 
career and they do well. They they gain more skills in that domain and they and they do fine. But there's nothing about becoming an expert, a technical es- expert that prepares you to lead people who are technical expert, experts sitting next to you. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, again, those softer skills where you're learning about what motivates someone to work on a project, what motivates someone to come to work, what makes them excited to, to, about being there. It's Those are kinds of things that we're being reflective and curious about how people operate, what moves them, what frustrates them. Uh, these aren't things you learn in a accounting class or in a IT class. It's um, you learn, I would maybe in my book, there you uh, go. Uh, but in uh, trainings where you're learning more softer skills. So we'll touch on some of the skills that you have mentioned, vulnerability, curiosity, radical candor, and a bunch of others, which are fascinating kind of labels for those. But tell me about scalability. Do you see your lessons applying to a startup with 20 employees or IBM with 150,000? Are there kind of are there kind of features and skill sets that are more applicable at the big organization and less so at the small, or is it pretty much the same? I would argue that they apply to all organizations now, no matter how small or large. And in fact, uh, there are, I, in addition to writing this book, I've designed and led a, a number of um, leadership trainings at the, the business that I work now. I, I run a leadership training, and uh, one participant in the training uh, told me a story. He said uh, he was talking to his wife the, the the evening before, and she said, "Yes, you're you're taking that leadership training, right?" And he said, "Yeah." She said, "Yeah, keep doing that." Uh, <laughs> and the, the point the point that, there being that uh, the skills that he was learning um, through this training were helping in his relationship uh, with his wife and his family. So there's a great side benefit. Uh, we should you may you, you should probably put that on the cover as as an additional feature for the for purchasing the book, um, but also I what I took from that phrase was keep doing it because leadership is a constantly evolving skill set that you can never know and lock in. You're probably seeing a lot of that with some of the leaders or the the folks you interact with where they think okay, you know for those listening I'm I'm uh, wiping my hands like I'm done with the project they they think they've they've got it down, yet you're really talking about a constant. Uh, constant process of evolution in this role. Right. That's a constant process of, of reflection and curiosity about why things are working or not. That's why I think it's, it applies no matter how big or small the company is. I think that we often have this assumption problem I, I talk about uh, when I talk about my book. Uh, we, we assume that we've been working with people for many years so that we're a master of uh, the human condition. And so we've, we've got that all figured out. And yet I've been studying, uh, I've been operating as a student of leadership, and I'm always reflecting on these things, and I'm constantly making mistakes in my relationships. I, I assume things that I shouldn't, or I, I, I signal something that is misunderstood. And if I'm not sitting there thinking, wow, how fascinating what's happening there, and what is my role in that misunderstanding or miscommunication, then I'm probably not going to be doing a very good job as a leader wherever I am. So you work for the federal government, as you mentioned at the library. I did of Co- work for the federal. Yeah. I I uh, I no longer. I'm working in the private sector now. Oh no! I forgive me. Uh, I said oh, worked sorry. past tense. Oh, so, oh yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So sorry. Uh, a large, some would say the largest, uh, often unionized or structured organization. So let's take unionization. My parents were union members. I'm a fan of unions. Do you see organizations that have that structured relationship to employees, both in compensation and title and stuff like that? 
having a difference in how leadership ex- exhibits? Or again, is it kind of always the same? Right. So I've been practicing or trying to practice a lot of these skills in in the federal government, in the private sector, in, in all different kinds of uh, organizational dynamics. And I, I just find that it's again. It's trying to understand what's what the dynamic is in in this with this group of people, and um, how do I move them? How do I m- motivate them? And and or why uh, are things not working as well as I'd like them to? It's Jeff Page. He's our guest here on What's Working in Washington. The author of a book, Becoming a Student of Leadership: Making Leadership a Practice. One of the features of the book talks about radical candor. It's What's Working in Washington. We'll be right back. working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. It's What's Working in Washington. We're back, and I am Mark Walsh, your host. We're excited to have with us today in the studio Jeff Page. Jeff is the author of Becoming a Student of Leadership, Making Leadership a Practice, and we're talking about some of the features of the book and some of the lessons learned file that's both in the book and through Jeff's career about what it takes to be a leader and perhaps as important, what it takes to continue to learn how to be a leader, which is the essence of your of your title. Before we get back into the book and that specific, let me just go back a little bit because I was always fascinated and I'm sure many of the, the folks following this show uh, were fascinated with the Library of Congress, an amazing institution. It is an And you were CFO there, you were CFO and there for quite a number of years. Um, what are some stats? Like, I mean, how many visitors in a given year? What's like, like how many books in the shelf? It's just, it's an amazing spot. The, the Library of Congress is an amazing spot, and uh, I spent uh, about nine years uh, working there as the CFO. And it is not only an amazing institution, and and it's a it's uh, as um, the former Librarian of Congress, uh, uh, Dr. Billington, James Billington, yeah. uh, used to say, it's uh, with uh, frust- with frustration. He says it's the best held secret in the uh, in the Washington area because the the um, Jefferson, the Great Hall, the Jefferson Building. Is has to be one of the most stunning uh, buildings, uh, rooms in, in all of Washington D.C. And it's it's far down the list of places people go, the Smithsonian and all the other museums. Um, 
But the the other thing, just wor- having worked at the Library of Congress, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with in my life. I mean, when the people who are librarians or catalogers or, or uh, special collections um, people, they've arrived. This is like Mecca to them. To I was have- going to say, that's top of the food chain for that Absolutely. arena. Yes. Yeah. Um, so amazing place. And they, they talk about numbers of books and, and all the different materials that they collect in the terabytes of, you know, wow. uh, and I think probably it's a bit, there's a bigger number. I don't know what it is now, but. Uh, Petabytes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, massive numbers of things. And it's it's a collection of uh, the world's creativity. That's kind of how they define well said. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess movies like All the President's Men and Book of Secrets and stuff like that were at least some of Hollywood's way to maybe make it less uh, the unknown or the, the little known secret of Washington, D.C. Correct. I mean, that, that scene in All the President's Men when they're, you know, when they're going through the card catalog from above and then Book of Secrets, as you recall, <laughs> whenever – well, I I, uh, I I urge our our listeners to go check out those two movies if you want to at least see Hollywood's version of some of the amazing facilities and the main room facility of the Library of Congress. So, if I may ask, what was the budget? I mean, I, I, it's a it's an arm of the United States government's budget overall. Uh, did you have any was any of the revenue not U.S. funded, uh, government funded? Well, there was the federal uh, budget yeah. uh, that was uh, – it's a part of – the Library of Congress is part of the legislative branch. Got and it. so the budget was between five and 600000 $600 million. Yeah. Uh, dollars. Um, but uh, especially during Dr. Billington's time, and, and I left about uh, – I left a short time uh, before he left the, the, uh, the library – uh, he was a really prolific um, fundraiser ah. um, for things for to bring uh, attention to the library uh, and doing special events and special uh, collections and things like that. So um, there was a, an endowment of, I think, somewhere to the tune of $100 million uh, in growing. Um, uh, and I don't know what it is now because I've been away for a while. But uh, Probably bigger. Yes. Let's hope. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you probably saw some leadership style elements of, of Dr. Billington's behavior. But let's get to the some of the elements of your book. So one of the things you talked about or that, that you write about is is uh, uh, radical candor. Now, I know what those two words mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do they mean together? And, and how do you describe them in your book? It's interesting because I been, had been thinking about radical candor as a term for a while. And then I actually found it on uh, YouTube. Uh, uh, there are some, some people might have heard of Kim Scott, she does uh, a, a, a TED Talk, and I think she's written a book on radical candor. And the thing that I like about the term um, is that uh, it, people misunderstand it. Radical candor sounds like someone being really um, kind of rude and abrupt. In your face, uh, yeah. But in my mind, uh, radical. what's radical about it is most people are conflict-averse. Mm-hmm. And so if there is a blind spot that you have that's preventing you from operating effectively, and I'm conflict-averse, I don't want to tell you, then you're going to keep operating ineffectively, and I'm going to keep thinking, boy, Mark really is having a problem, and uh, some should, it would be nice if somebody told him. So radical candor is, is figuring out a way to share that information as a gift. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I give you something that is going to be something you're going to find valuable um, uh, and spe- instead of rejecting it and being defensive about it, but it also will open your eyes to uh, possible blind spots you have that are creating problems for you in, in your your work as a leader. 
So that's probably easier said than done. I mean, you know, the old spinach in the teeth after lunch, somebody tells you and you say, thank you very much. But I'll bet some of the defensiveness often kicks in in this in this structure that we're talking about, I'm sure. Absolutely. And one of the things when I, I, I talk about radical candor in my book and I talk about it in the leadership training I do, and often uh, in the trainings I've done, the participants come up and say, it, it makes sense, but it's so hard when I think about that person I need to give some feedback to. Yeah. And I know that they're going to defend, be defensive or I'm really scared about uh, sharing this. And, and my response is, it's hard. It's yeah. not easy. And you have to practice. You have to think about, like, if I'm going to give you feedback, I might talk to a friend of yours and say, you know, I, I want to share this feedback with Mark. But I don't know how he's going to take it. Is there a way that I can approach it that he might receive it uh, more readily than um, than if I presented it to you in a different means where you are more inclined to be defensive? Because if you're defensive, you're going to reject it. You're going to say that jerk Jeff Page just said something inappropriate to me, and so I'm going to reject it. And, how dare he? Right, yeah. Right. Well, the flip side of that coin, and another feature of what you've written about, uh, once again, we're talking with Jeff Page, author of Becoming a Student of Leadership, Making Leadership a Practice, is vulnerability. That's right. So that's, to me, the other side of that, I would argue, is if you exhibit a sense of vulnerability, then you would express openness to the kind of radical candor or suggestions others may give. You say that vulnerability is a key feature of, of growing to be a successful leader. It's really important, and it actually really ties into radical candor because um, one of the ways to offer radical candor effectively is to do it with revealing some vulnerability to say, you know, I've struggled with this issue a lot myself. And in fact, uh, just the other day, I've had whatever this problem is that <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you about and as a way of inviting um, inviting, and just saying, I'm not telling you because I'm up here and I'm perfect I'm not giving you this feedback. I'm saying this is something I struggle with, and I thought maybe this feedback might help you open your eyes to it. But also vulnerability um, is something that allows you the ability to say, yes, I'm not perfect because we're human. Um, I think the definition of humanity is that we're flawed. And, um, and uh, you know, a lot of people think of vulnerability as a weakness, and I really think that vulnerability to to Execute vulnerability, if you will, uh, takes courage, mm -hmm. and um, and it also builds trust. Well, I think even, I guess, a coin only has two sides, but I'll go with three sides, is another <laughs> feature you focus on is curiosity. Mm -hmm. And the folks I've interacted with or that have run companies I've been part of show curiosity all the time. Sometimes curiosity is linked, at least in my experience, with vulnerability. So I'm curious to learn more about, and that's an, sort of an inherent or implicit vulnerability because I don't know it and I want you to tell me. Do you see that as also a strong core feature of successful leaders? Absolutely. And uh, curiosity and vulnerability are absolutely linked because I can't be curious about what's going wrong with me or with my uh, attempts to communicate or with uh, problems I'm having um, with people on my team if I'm not able to be vulnerable and curious, like what's going on here instead of saying those, those jerks aren't following my instructions. I can be vulnerable and say, wow, I, must, I may not be communicating effectively. How fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, let me reflect on this and see what is that about and ask people and try to get feedback and find out what's going on and uh, improve. 
As we get closer to the end of our time together, Jeff, one of the last things that I wrote down as, as we were uh, getting ready for our conversation was communication skills. And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in the technological arena, tech companies, internet companies. And often people are leaders in those organizations that, frankly, are on the spectrum. Uh, and so their communication skills, to just they're just different than what is traditionally sort of the salesy kind of talky folks that you, you, you think of when you say he's a great communicator. What are some ways, if any, that folks like that can be effective leaders? Right. So when, a lot of times when we talk about effective communicators, uh, we talk about people who are really good at talking and, yeah. and saying what they want to say. And they're not necessarily that, that, that good at listening. Ah. And so that's why we sometimes talk about extroverts and introverts as being, you know, uh, tied to being effective leaders and not effective leaders. But actually, uh, introverts are often better listeners. They're they're better at absorbing what's going on around them and might be more reflective as opposed to the the really effective communicator who's just talking and saying, as soon as that person uh, stops moving their mouth, I'm going to really tell them something interesting. So a bit of a lightning round here as we as we wrap up. Who should who are some of the leaders or who are the sources of leadership advice that you would tell younger listeners to follow? I mean, somebody on TikTok, and I'm only half facetious there. Where do you see leadership advice for younger folks that they should go to? Other right. than your book, of course. Right. So there there's a section of my book where I talk about um, there's this uh, you know there's the WWJD yeah um, well I my uh, section of the book is WWMD which is what would your mentor do uh-huh. and it's a way of saying you know we walk around there are people that we have colleagues we have leaders we have people in the grocery store that exhibit elements of effective leadership in various different contexts and my uh, guidance or, or suggestion advice is is to say. Look at those things that strike you as, wow, that, that's something that I want to model. And it's, it's like this nugget conversation we talked about earlier. How do I sort of try to incorporate that into the way that I operate? Um, so it doesn't have to be one person or, or this perfect leader. It's, it's elements of how people operate and communicate with, uh, with others. Jeff Page, final question. If you ruled the world for a period of time, what one thing would you make happen? What one thing would you stop from happening? The thing that I would make happen and um, something that I would like to do with this book uh, is to start a movement of really getting more people reflecting on these kinds of concepts and early in schools and early in people's careers, start having people training on being curious and vulnerable and these things that we've just been talking about today. If If we incorporate this into training early on, because we're not leaders at a leadership level, we, we're leaders all the time. So yep. get people thinking about this earlier. And what I would stop doing is um, stop having people assume that a a long, many years of being a technical uh, technician qualifies you to be a leader. Fair enough. Jeff Page, the author of Becoming a Student of Leadership, Making Leadership a Practice, a fascinating book that has a lot of institutional knowledge, a lot of predictions, a lot of reactions, a lot of advice, and a whole lot of uh, well-earned, important information about what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a student of leadership. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbathers.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.